We're at Romans chapter 12, and so let's go ahead and go there with, in our Bibles. Romans 12. Here's what the brochure looks like that you want to grab so that you can send your junior to camp. It'll be in the bookstore. If you can't afford to send your junior to camp, we have scholarships available. Please let us know. And there's some in the body of Christ that are thrilled to get to send someone to camp. They don't have that. Once you've found Romans 12, would you stand again? And let's get ready to read the text. Verses 1 and 2 say, Preacher, we already have engaged 1 and 2. That is true. We have, in fact, preached from 1 and 2 already. But like a pilot who flies over a target and realizes, maybe I haven't achieved the desired results that the commander wants, I feel like the Lord wants us to re-attack verse number 2 and see if we can get some more desired effects from the truth that's contained in verse 2. So I'd like us to read 1 and 2 together, and then we're going to preach from verse 2. I'll read from the King James, but really I'm going to personalize it. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So brothers and sisters in Christ, that's us. Those are the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have been radically converted by the power of the gospel and are now new creatures in Christ. That's us writing to us by the mercies of God that ye. So that's us that I personally, I can personalize it, that Sean Harris would present his body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. Can you personalize it? Can you personalize it in your own Bible? Can you read it in a sense that personalizes it? Because, reading from verse 2, I am not to be conformed to this world. I'm not to look like the world, smell like the world, talk like the world, Listen to the world's music, walk like, smell like, talk like, look like the world. What then am I to be? I am to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, by your Holy Spirit... Would you be gracious and make the word of God come alive to us? We want to exalt Christ in the text. We want the word of God to come and pierce our very hearts and to show us where we as a local New Testament church need to be different. We pray, O God, that if there's a soul here that is not born again, they're not converted, they have not trusted in Christ. The gospel has not changed them. We pray, O God, that the Holy Spirit would work as the message is preached and their soul would be converted by putting their faith in the truth of the Word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So here's the question. According to verse number 2, I want you to talk to me this morning. I want you to shout out the answers as the Holy Spirit leads you. Where in the world does transformation begin? Where does this transformation process that God the Holy Spirit has begun in us upon salvation, where does it begin, church? It begins in the mind. It begins in the mind. Transformation, according to the Word of God, begins in the mind by the renewing of the mind. What does this renewal mean? It means renovation. I'm going to use the idea of extreme makeover. The Holy Spirit wants to do extreme makeover on my mind. The Holy Spirit wants to change my mind. 
The mind that I received at birth has been corrupted by the fall of man. It's not the mind that is, can worship God. It needs a new mind. I need a transformed mind. I need a renovated mind. I need to be remade. I need something different. Who then is the agent of making my mind different? Who's the captain of the extreme makeover team? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit. What does God the Holy Spirit use? What are the construction products? What are the tools? What are the nails? What are the studs? What are the tools? This, the Word of God. The Word of God. God the Holy Spirit uses 66 canonical books, beginning with Genesis and going down through Revelation. 66 divinely preserved, inspired books are here for me. God takes the words off these pages puts them in my mind, and uses those words, those ideas, those truths to give me a new mind, to change my thinking, to renovate who I am. God does that as I study the Word of God. God does that as I meditate upon God Himself. God does that as I think about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does that as I dwell on godly things. I'm going to tie this to what the Lord told us from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus said that I am to love the Lord my God with my heart and with my soul and with my mind. So this morning, I want to talk to us about intellectual love. Intellectual love. I want to talk about how are we going to love God with our mind. I know how to love God with my heart. I know how to love God with my soul. I know how to love God with my strength. I want to know how do I love God with my mind. How am I going to take the mind that God gave me? He gave me a brain. He gave me a mind. A brilliant brain. A mind. I need to use it for His kingdom. I need to love Him with it. Would you imagine with me, Aaron, a scenario in which you and I are in the back of a boat like we're going to be August 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I can't wait. We're going to live on the lake. I love the lake, church. I love everything about the lake. And there is a, another dude in the boat with us, and we start listening to him, and he says, man, I, I love soccer. Really, you love soccer? Yeah, I'm crazy about soccer. Now, soccer's a great sport, and I love soccer. And I said, well, we got a great guy up at our church. He loves soccer, too. And I said to him, well, hey, man, how'd you enjoy the World Cup? And the guy says, the what? Uh, made it, the World Cup. You remember the, the, I didn't watch the World Cup. Really? You didn't watch the World Cup? Yeah, well, what, what, what about, what is it that you like about soccer? Well, I just kind of like it. Well, can you tell me a little bit about the game? Like, do you like defense or offense or what part? Well, not, well who's your favorite player? No. Um, how long does the game go on for? Not really sure. How do they win when there's a tie? Um, no. Would you conclude he loves soccer? Would you conclude he loves soccer, Chaplain Smith? No. All right, here's my assessment. My contention this morning is that's the American evangelical church when it comes to Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, really? You love Jesus? Tell me about what you love about Jesus. Tell me about his person. Tell me about his work. How, how does the divinity and the humanity of Jesus come together? How has he always existed? Tell me a little bit about his work on Calvary. What did God accomplish? Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Well, tell me about it. You know, I love the gospel. Really, what is the gospel? Well, uh, uh, the preacher says it's the good news. No, no, I'm not asking you about what the preacher says. 
Could you tell me what the gospel is in your own words? I love the church, man. I'm crazy about the church. Really, what is it about the body of Christ that you're crazy about? I love the Bible. Really, what part of the Bible do you love? I believe that we say we love God, but we don't know how to love Him with our mind. We haven't been loving Him with our mind. We need to learn to love God with our mind. See, my contention is that there's, in fact, an anti-intellectual bias in the American conservative church. There's an anti-intellectual bias. I think it comes from three basic ideas. This is just my opinion. Number one, I think that we think intellectuals are geeks, and nobody wants to be a geek. Nobody wants to be a geek. And so if someone is articulate, if somebody's sharp, when a teenager starts really getting into the Word of God, he's not encouraged, he's shunned in the youth group. We don't say, man, he really knows his Bible. We say, what are you doing that? We, we put some silent pressure on him. We don't encourage intellectualism in the body of Christ. We're not encouraging to pull it out. We're not thrilled that he knows doctrine. We're not thrilled that she's studying the gospel. We're not thrilled about the fact that she can give a great answer as to what the Trinity is. We're surprised that they're spending so much time on what we perceive to be ridiculousness. It's just the opposite of what we want. I would contend to you, number two, that intellectuals are perceived to be liberals. They're liberal in their theology. They're liberal in their morals. They're liberal in their political leanings. And so we have this anti-intellectual bias that's infiltrated our church. And I'm here to tell you, we need intellectuals in the body of Christ. We need, I say this again, church, we need conservative intellectuals in America. We need people who are smart and can answer for the cries of Christ. And they can debate intelligently. We don't need another moron to go on church, on television, and make us look bad. We need smart, conservative intellectuals who can defend the cause of Christ and can give it a good answer. Where are they going to come from if we have an intellectual, anti-intellectual bias? Number three, I think this is a reaction because fundamentalism was actually birthed out of liberal theology. It was a reaction to liberal theology that infiltrated the church. In fact, this very church was founded 40 years ago in a reaction to the liberalism that had infiltrated the Southern Baptist Convention. But that doesn't mean that all theologians are liberal. We need conservative, rock-solid, fundamental theologians who can write well and can communicate truth well. So don't get scared now. I'm going to give 10 P's. Not 10 points, 10 P words. And I want you to take your bulletin on the back where we've got the lines. And I'd like you to write these 10 P words down. Stay with me, please. I'm going to go through P1 and through P10. These are hooks that we're going to hang our thoughts on as we work through the text. And if everyone would grab that, the sermon will actually psychologically seem faster to you if you're taking down some notes. And so that will help you. Point number one. Here it comes. Number one, pointless. Pointless. I'm going to contend to you that studying your Bible outside of the Holy Spirit's divine presence is pointless. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to come and fill me with wisdom. This is His book. He wrote it. I need the Holy Spirit. He's part of the renewing process. Where do you get that from, preacher? Titus 3.5 is the exact same Greek word used only twice in our New Testament. The same Greek word is in Romans 12.2 is used in Titus 3.5. And what the Bible teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is the renewing agent in my life. 
that God the Holy Spirit is the one that renews my mind. So God the Holy Spirit uses this book right here to renew my mind. So I start my devotions. I start my study time. I start my meditation time in, tell me, church. Say it, John. Prayer. I start in prayer. God, you wrote this book. This is not a human book. I need you to open this scripture up. I need you to come and be part of this study time. I need you, God. That means I've got to clear my conscience, confess sin, get right with God, and then open my heart to hear truth. Why is this so important? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that the natural mind, the natural man, the natural mind, receives not the things of the Spirit. So, counselors, if you've got a young man or woman down there at camp and they're not born again, don't be surprised when they're bored with the Word of God. They've got a natural mind. They need a mind that's been made new through the power of the Holy Spirit to take in the Word of God. You've got a salvation issue right there. Because if you're not born again, this is just an old, boring book to you. Greg, you remember those days? Greg most recently came to Christ. I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm going to anyway. And now you've loved the Word of God. You can't stand it. You just get enough of it. Take it in. Take it in. That's because you don't have a natural mind anymore. God's given you a new mind. And the new mind loves the Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world, Saul, has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And so if you're an unbeliever in, uh, hanging out with us this morning, and we're thrilled that you're here, you need to know that the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded your mind. So this doesn't make sense to you. Quite frankly, you're bored stiff, and you can't wait till this drumming blah, 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 is over with. Why? Because you've got a mind that's been blinded by the God of this world. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and open this up to you and pull back the blindness and make the light of the Word of God shine in. In fact, Paul says to us in Romans 8, 7, that you've got a cardinal mind, a fleshly mind. Your mind doesn't agree with godly things. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's hostile. You don't love God with your mind. You can't stand God with your mind. You're bored stiff. Why am I even here? When is lunch going to happen? And hurry up. Because your mind has not been changed. Number two. Write down number two. Pattern. I want us as a church to follow this pattern. The pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. The pattern of the early church. And more specifically, the pattern of the Berean church in Acts. So let's start with Luke chapter number 2, please. Turn over there in your Bibles, Luke 2. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So right before John and right after Mark. Real close to where you're at. I want to draw your attention to two verses. Give you a second because I'd like you to, to draw your attention to these two verses coming from the life of Christ. Talking about the humanity of Christ, the, the, the humanness of Christ, the fact that Christ had to learn, the fact that Christ had to read, the fact that Christ had to grow. And he provides for us, Luke gives us these two verses as a challenge. Verse number 40 says, and the child grew. And waxed strong in spirit. And that child was filled with, what's your Bible say? Wisdom. Filled with wisdom. The child grew. I've got a simple question for you this morning. Are you growing? 
If you look at your spiritual knowledge, your spiritual depth, the wisdom that you have today versus one year ago versus two years ago versus five years ago, is there any growth going on in your life at all? Are you able to defend your faith any better? Are you able to articulate the gospel better now? Do you know anything more about the Word of God than you did two years ago or five years ago? I'm so concerned that our church just wants to plateau. That's the wrong answer. The fact that you're 62 years old and you have retired and you're collecting Social Security doesn't mean you're done learning. What if God gives you two more decades on this planet? You get 20 more years. Seniors, let's get back in the book and start growing. Thank you, sister. Appreciate one amen out of that. I'm done. I'm going to learn all I'm going to learn. No, that's not what we're talking about. We need to keep growing. We need to keep digging. We need to keep learning. I'm not content with what I know. I need some more wisdom. I'm not content with one Sunday morning sermon a week. I need to get in the Word of God myself. I need to renew my mind myself. And then verse 52, please. Please notice. And Jesus, what? He increased. What is going on with the American evangelical church? We're not increasing. We have plateaued. We're done. We're done. We know a few Bible stories. We know a couple cute characters. We know a few books of the Bible where they're located. And we're content with that knowledge. That's why we're not loving God with our mind. Two-hour church services for a 20-minute devotional sermon and an hour and a half of song, 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 song. And there's nothing wrong with singing. And the singing was beautiful today. But I need to love God with my mind. I don't need a cute little felt needs, little sermonette. Tell me how to manage my money better. I need to know the Word of God. I need to know the God of the Bible. I need to know who He is. I need to know how He thinks. I need to know His attributes. I need to know everything about Him. I want to know You, God. You got me a brain, and I want to know You with my brain. Next slide. Acts 2.42, the Bible says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And when you mention doctrine today, everyone goes, Oh, tell me how to manage my money better. Tell me how to have a better marriage. Tell me how to have this felt need and that felt need. And Aaron, I'm about felt need up to my eyeballs. Doctrine is what changes people. If you can't articulate the person and work of Christ and how he fulfilled the messianic offices of the Old Testament, you're hopeless. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what we believe, why we believe it, so that you can interact with unsaved people from an intelligent perspective. Quite frankly, we look like idiots most of the time. You know why? Because we're not loving God with our mind. When a guy knows more about football than the Word of God, something is broke. B-R-O-K-E. Broke. Okay? I know all the teams. I know all the players. I've got facts about them memorized. I know who's going where. I can grab out the entire playoff series for you. I know all the rules. But I, don't, I can't even articulate the gospel if you paid me to. 
Something's wrong. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Pull out a blank piece of paper and write down the gospel. See how you do. See if you can write it down. I don't mean looking at your Bible. I mean right off the top of your head. If the gospel radically changed you, then why in the world do you need a note card in order to explain the gospel? Number three. Number three. The church at Berea. That's us. That's who we were named after. This is Berean. The church at Berea. This is who we are as a church. The Bible says these. The context shows us it's the church at Berea. We're more noble than those at Thessalonica. That's the sister city right over there. In that, please notice, they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. They used their mind to search the word of God. They used their mind to study the word of God. God gave them a mind and they're not going to sit in the pews as clueless robots. They're thinking. They're following along. They're taking notes. They're engaged in the Word of God. They're paying attention. The preacher can't slip something underneath the radar because they're looking. They know the Scripture. That's the church at Berea. That's who we need to be, congregation. That's how we're going to make a difference in Fayetteville. Number three. Preparation. Please write down the word preparation. Number three is preparation. Intellectual love. So loving God with my mind. That is studying the word of God, the things of God. Studying theology. Studying apologetics. Studying these things is a way to prepare. What are we going to prepare for? We're going to prepare for a war. What kind of a war? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We do not have physical weapons. No M4s, no machine guns, no missiles for us. Our, our war is with words. Words, ideas. Idea is the second most powerful thing in the universe. God is the most powerful, and an idea is the second most powerful thing in the universe. And what are we going to do with our words? We are going to pull down strongholds. What kind of strongholds? Not castles, not physical strongholds. We're going to pull down intellectual strongholds. Give me an example. Darwinism. Darwinism would be an intellectual stronghold that has infiltrated the church. It is amazing how many preachers have caved on evolution. Bless God, we're not caving. God made man. He spoke man into existence. I'll give you another intellectual stronghold. Pluralism. Pluralism is an intellectual stronghold that's infiltrating the church. What are you talking about, preacher? It's the idea that we all worship the same God and we're all working our way to the top of the mountain and Baptist is one road and Islam is another road and Mormonism is another road. But don't worry about it. We're all going to the same top. And I say to you, that is an intellectual stronghold. Tom, it's awesome to have you home. Praise the Lord. Good to have you home. Uh, Praise God that you're home safe. So, counselors, I preached at you last year. I'm going to do it again. Are you doing anything to equip yourself to help pull down intellectual strongholds when the young people come in and they've been going to secular schools and their minds are filled with garbage? Because if you're sending your son or daughter to a public school, that's, that's, I'm, not, I'm not putting you down right now. But you need to understand that they are being fed lies. Lies. 
And so there, that means that in your son or daughter's mind, an intellectual stronghold is beginning to take root. What do you mean, preacher? What I'm saying, Bob, is that Satan is building a castle inside the, in the mind. A castle is being built. An intellectual castle. A stronghold is getting in there. How do we tear it down? Verse 5 tells us, we cast down, we destroy imaginations, that's arguments, and we destroy every high thing that has exalts himself against the knowledge of God. So we go in there with our baseball bats, Brother Smith, and we hit every argument, and we get into an intellectual fight. No, you'll not have a stronghold here. And no, that thought's not going there. I'm going to take that thought, and I'm going to take it captive to what? According to Scripture, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You bored this morning? You getting it? You understanding what I'm saying? There's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your children's minds. There's a battle going on. Right now, there is an intellectual stronghold taking root in America. And it's the stronghold that marriage is any gender linking up with any gender. That is a stronghold that's taking root in America. It's a, it's a stronghold. And the evangelical church is asleep. Sound asleep. At the switch. And no one's going in there and saying, oh no, God created male, God created female, that's God's plan, that's the only plan that's acceptable, the word of God is the divine authority, anything less is sin. Last year, every single time I preached on homosexuality, there was a nasty note in my box, every single time, every single time there was a nasty note in my box, you know why? Because Satan is building a stronghold, an intellectual stronghold. And that is, who are you to judge? If two females love each other, who are you to judge? It's not me judging. It's the Word of God judging. First Peter 1.13 says this, Wherefore, therefore, this is the purpose, you are to gird up your loins. The loins, what loins? The loins of your mind. What is this idea? Girded loins. It means getting ready for battle. It's getting ready for battle. There's a battle going on. And what's the battle for? Here it is, right here. Listen to me, church. For the hearts and minds of children. There's a battle. There's a battle. Did God make you? And you're accountable to Him? Or are you a product of a huge explosion with no accountability whatsoever? There's a battle. There's an intellectual battle happening in America. And mom and dad, it's time for you to wake up. Get ready for battle. So here's my contention. This is what I'm going to tell you. There's a great book called Kingdom of the Cults. And it shows me What's wrong with cult X and cult Y? And here's my contention. That I can take this book, I can open it up, and I can study it. And when I study it, and I take notes, and I highlight, and I prepare myself, that I am in fact loving God. This is time for me to get together 
And I'm going to worship you, Jesus. And I want to be prepared to defend my faith. I want to be prepared to give an answer. And I need to know what Buddhists believe, or Hindus believe, or Muslims believe, or Mormons believe, or Jehovah Witnesses believe, so that I can engage them, not from a moron perspective, because I'm clueless, but because I've been given a mind, and I'm going to use my mind to learn. In fact, everything about apologetics comes from this very Bible verse. Apologetics is scriptural. 1 Peter 3, 5 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer. Apologia is the Greek word. It's the word from which we get the word apologetics. It's to be able to give an answer. It's to be able to give an argument. Why in the world do you believe what you believe? Well, let me tell you why I believe what I believe. But you can't do that if your mind's not girded up. If you haven't devoted some time to intellectual love. Let's create another scenario. We were on the lake, but this one can't happen at the lake, so let's change it up. Imagine a scenario in which a Christian expresses a love for the Bible. Man, I love that Bible. It's a good Bible. I love it. And the skeptic at the coffee shop or the skeptic at work or the unbeliever at work says to you, you know what I never could get over is why the church had cherry-picked the books that they liked and didn't include all the books written about Jesus. And there you are going, other books about Jesus. I didn't know there were other books about Jesus. I'm clueless about the other books of Jesus. There, there are other books? And, well, and now what happens? What happens, church? You're not ready to talk about how we got the canonical books. You're clueless. You don't know about the Gospel of Thomas. You haven't done any extra reading about that. You don't understand why the church recognized some books as canonical and saw other books full of heresy. And so they were never included in the canon. You're not able to articulate intelligently. And so you know what happens? The skeptic walks away going, yep, another sucker. It's the truth. You know why? Because we're not loving God with our mind. Four hours watching sports, ten minutes watching the Word of God or reading the Word of God. You know what that says? I love sports more than God. Pure and simple. No argument about it. The idol in my house is ESPN. That's who I worship. I worship it every time. Say, is there something wrong with sports? No, there's nothing wrong with sports. But just go ahead and journal your week and see how many minutes and hours you devote to sports And how many minutes and hours you devote to anything relating to Christianity. Chart the two and decide for yourself who God is. Number four, passion. Let me move a little bit quicker. Four, I'm going to contend to you that intellectual love only occurs when truth moves you or moves your emotions. Where are you getting that from, preacher? From Psalms 1. Psalms 1 says that this man delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in it. You know what that means? He loves it. He gets joy out of it. He's studying the law of the Lord and it brings within him joy. That's his emotions. He's meditating on the Word of God and from that evokes love or praise. Ruth, have you had that happen to you? You're reading the Word of God and God just speaks to you. You go, I love you, God. You are awesome. What a great truth. Have you ever had that in your devotions? I needed that, God. Isn't it amazing what happens 
when the God, the Holy Spirit, opens up the Bible to you and you get a truth out of it, and that truth now moves from your mind down to your heart, and from your heart you go, I love you, God. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a wise creator. Thank you for saving my soul. It moves it from intellectualism to your emotions. Number five, pure mind. Pure mind. Number five is pure mind. Authentic intellectual love is more than a check-the-block exercise. Not doing devotions for the sake of doing devotions. We're not, okay, six out of six, five out of five. Yes, I did it. No, no, no. Devotion time, study time, meditation time has a purpose behind it, has an intent behind it. I've got to get something out of this, God. I want this to change my life. Where are you getting that from, preacher? I get it from Psalms 119 and all kinds of verses. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? Why are you hiding God's word in your heart? So you don't sin against God. Let's talk about iPods. Let's talk about what is on your son or daughter's iPod. Let's talk about when was the last time you took the iPod, plugged it into a speaker system in your house, and played some songs from it. Let's talk about renewing of your mind. Johnny spends 10 minutes in the Word of God and listens to an iPod for five hours a day filled with garbage. How in the world are you going to compete with that? Moms, dads, when was the last time you did an iPod check? When was the last time it's their iPod? Let me tell you something. There's nothing theirs. There's nothing theirs. If they eat off of your table and enjoy your carpet and enjoy your air conditioning, then there's nothing Nothing, nothing is theirs. Take that iPod, plug it into an iHome or some external speakers and start shuffling through it. See what you don't recognize. See what's filling their mind with garbage. You can't compete. Here's my contention. Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. That's why I would be very careful sending your children to public schools. Know what the teacher is. Go and meet the teacher. Know what the curriculum is. Examine the curriculum. Know what they're teaching. Take the science book and don't be dumb about it. Open the science book and see what they're teaching about the creation of man. Know what they're teaching. Look at the history book. Most of these history books are nothing but revisionist history. Know what they're teaching. Don't be naive. It's your responsibility, mom and dad. Garbage in, garbage out. Don't be surprised after 12 years of garbage that they walk away from the Christian faith. Don't say, where did that come from? Number six, the word prove. I'm going to use this in an archaic sense. The archaic meaning of prove is to learn or to find out. I need to renew my mind. Why? So that I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I need to learn or find out the will of God. I need to learn or find out these gray areas in life. See, I have lots of choices to make. There isn't a play button in the New Testament so that I can listen to the play button and say, that's God's favorite music. That means I need to examine every single song. I need to decide, is this acceptable to you, O oh God? How am I going to determine these gray areas if I'm not in the Word of God? Where are you getting that from, preacher? Romans 14:5. Let's look at it together. One man esteems one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. So we've got two Christians, both of them believers. 
And one says, the Lord's Day is special, and I'm really going to set it aside. And another one says, every day is special, and every day is set aside. What's the rule? What's the decision? Here's what Paul says. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Not my mind. John, you be fully persuaded in your mind. Marcus, you be fully persuaded in your mind. I don't make the decisions for your family. I'm not the spiritual leader for the Lewis family. I'm not the spiritual leader for the Burke family. Aaron needs to be fully persuaded in his own mind. I need to be fully persuaded in my own mind. This means I've got to study the Word of God. Because there are lots of gray areas. Ladies, probably the biggest gray area that you deal with is what is acceptable garments to wear. What's modest? So here's my contention. If you're never in the Word of God, if your mind's not being renewed on a regular basis, and you go on a shopping trip, how in the world do you think the Holy Spirit's going to lead you during that shopping trip? I heard one person say it. He's not. That's right. That's right. And so here you are. It's been a long time since your mind's been renewed. You've been filling your mind with secular commercials, garbage, garbage, materialism, ads coming in the mailbox. You haven't been in the Word of God lately. Now you enter into the store, and instead of shopping like a spirit-filled believer, you're shopping at best like a carnal Christian. So then you pull off the racks, garments that are not modest, because the Holy Spirit is not leading you. We don't need a preacher to issue out a laundry list of rules. We need born-again believers who renew their minds every single day. Why? So that number six, they can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Number seven, very quickly. Loving God with your mind will not happen without a plan. You have to have a plan, men. When are you going to do it? Ladies, when are you going to do it? What works best for you and what works best for me is going to be different. Do you do it at work at lunchtime? Do you do it in the early morning time? At Anchorage, it's easy. You've got a whole schedule and you block off devotion time. But our lives are much more complex than that. We'd love to be at camp for the rest of the year, but we can't. Our boss gets us up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Many of us are at work at 5.15, getting ready for the day. And we work until 6 or 7 o'clock at night. Lots of officers and NCOs in this room work like that every single day. Retired civilians working like that all the time. Small businessmen working like that all the time. So when are you going to make it happen, men? When are you going to make it happen, ladies? What's your plan? Say, where are you getting that from, preacher? Familiar verse, we just looked at it. I want to call your attention to this word. They searched the scriptures daily. They did it. They had a plan. Hey, men, I fully realize you cannot devote an hour or two every single day. I've got that piece. I know that. Let me ask you this. Could you set aside 30 minutes on a Saturday? Could you set a men? Could you set aside 30 minutes on a Saturday in which you shut out the family, you turn off the phone, and you say, This is my God time. I want to meditate. I want to study. I've got my study Bible. I've got my notepad. I've got some internet connections so that I can get on some good websites. I want to learn right now. Could you do that once a week, men? Could you do that for 52 weeks a year, just one time a week? Could you devote 10 minutes at lunchtime to reading a good book? It's easy, young people. It's easy, but when you're going to go back to college, then it becomes a lot more challenging, doesn't it? 
Everything hitting you. Exams. All the pressures. You have to have a plan. When am I going to study the Word of God? When am I going to meditate upon the Word of God? Number eight. We're almost done. This is just a personal opinion. Can't show you any scripture. I think every single Christian family should be developing a personal library. A personal library. This is your personal Christian library. Every single Christian needs a good study Bible. Several people in the congregation have found this one to be a very good study Bible. Very good. Lots of notes. Lots of charts. I think I gave this to Aaron a couple years ago and he's enjoyed it. It's a great study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, please start setting aside your nickels, dimes, and pennies until you get some money for a study Bible. You need notes, charts, diagrams, maps, commentary, concordance, articles to help you. And, and I'm telling you, I feel the feedback right now, church. We're like this. Why? Why are we like this? Why don't we want to get more out of our devotion time? Why don't we want to get more out of the Word of God time? Why are we content reading a chapter and getting nothing out of it? Why do I feel arms crossed? I need to be feeling embracing. Yes, preacher, give us good tools. Show us how to study the Word of God. Yes, preacher, we want to get deep in the Word of God. We want roots that are deep, deep, deep roots. Number two, a good apologetics book. This has become my favorite. It's called, it's on Amazon. It's only 15 bucks, folks. This is a great book. The reason I like this book so much for you is because it's alphabetized. You don't have to read the entire thing. It just has topics. When you need something, when somebody presents a term that you're unfamiliar with, you open it up, and you know how A through Z works. You find it, and you read a great article. It's going to give you some other suggestions, and you pull a hold of it. This is my contention. Every single Christian family should be developing a personal library. And then what you're going to do with that personal library is you're going to give that personal library to your boys who are going to give it to their children who are going to pass it down to their children. Now, how cool is that? Can you imagine receiving the Bible that dad poured over? Receiving the Bible that has dad's notes on it, mom's journal notes on it. Man, this is awesome. My mom and dad were really were believers. They were converted. They served God. And you receive 10 or 15 books and then 20 books and you pass it to the second generation or the third generation. Can you prove that in Scripture? No, not at all. Just an opinion. Here's a great website for people who said, I'm broke and I don't have any money. This is called a free website. No charge whatsoever. Blueletterbible.org. Every single Sunday school teacher should be using this website. This is a great website. Lots of free resources to you. Great website. Every single teacher should be using this website. And for you all, you iPhone junkies, it's got an app available for it, by the way. An app for that website so you can... Pull it down that way. Here's an idea. See what you think about this idea. Dads, instead of getting another tie, another pair of socks for Father's Day, why don't you put the word out that you want a good Christian book? How about we get our children a great study Bible for Christmas? How about we get them a good, solid gift that can last for eternity? All right, number nine, and we're almost done. Please write down present progressive. What? What are you talking about? Look at this word ing. You know what the verb tense is? Continually happening. 
That means I renewed my mind yesterday. I am in the process of renewing my mind. And I've got to renew it tomorrow. The devotion I did five weeks ago won't cut it for today. I need a new mind today. The sermon's over with. Today's Friday. It's been five days. I need something for today. Renewing is a present and progressive idea. Not only have I been renewed, I am being renewed, and I need to continually be renewed again. How does this happen? Me making a decision. Number 10, and we're done. What's the ultimate purpose in all this? Why in the world are we doing all this? What in the world is the ultimate purpose for all this? Why would we dedicate so much time to renewing our minds? What is the reason we're doing this? Because of this word right here. Be transformed. Be transformed. A laundry list of do's and don'ts is not going to transform the body of Christ. Do this and don't do this is not going to transform the body of Christ. A laundry list of rules called the law did not transform the Israelites. It didn't do it. It didn't work. You know what transforms us? The Word of God. The Word of God is what makes me a new creature. Makes me a new creature in Christ. I am different. I don't want to be the same preacher I was four years ago. I don't want to be the same preacher I was two years ago. I want to be renewed. I want to be transformed. I need to be a new creature in Christ. How about you? Are you content with who you were a year ago or two years ago? I'm not. I don't want to be that same person. I want to be different. I want to be transformed. I want you to be able to see God's doing a work in our preacher's life. Now, do you see it in your own life? That's the purpose. The purpose of all this is to be transformed beings. Why? Because that's how we most glorify God. Let's pray.